Welcome to Be Customer-Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer-led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill Stakos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Be Customer-Led. I'm your host, Bill Stakos. Another great show for you all this week. Nils Vinya accelerated from individual contributor to vice president in 30 months. That's a That's got to be a record somewhere in some book, to be honest <laughs> with you. Every team Niels has run has become a high-performing team. The process behind how he did this formed the foundation of his leadership coaching. And once Niels' clients started using his playbook, and we'll tell you a little bit about that in one second, the results were remarkable. And I've actually gone through this playbook, and it's really, really amazing. So Niels is offering a free digital copy of his best-selling 30-day leadership playbook. And it literally is day-by-day what to do. Your guide to becoming the leader that you have always wanted to be. It's at 30dayleadership.com forward slash book. Niels, so excited to have you on the show. Hey, Bill. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to dig in and I appreciate that warm intro. And just to clarify for the audience, it is 30dayleadership.com. Yeah, there you go. And just want to clarify, uh, forward slash book, get a free copy. I'll send it to you right away. Yeah. And Niels, by the way, was nice enough to have me on his podcast. And I was like, hey, I, I want him on, on, on Be Customer Led. I think that our listeners are going to get a ton of value from this conversation. Niels, before we get started, right, you've spent most of your career in customer success. Yes. And now coach CS teams, right, mm-hmm. by and large. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your journey to get to where you are today. And because one, I think it's a pretty incredible journey that you said you learned all this great stuff, then you package it and you said, you know what? I want to amplify this message and I want to help as many people as possible, but I want to hear from you in your own words. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first 10 years of my professional career, Bill, I had absolutely no idea where I fit in the professional world. And I literally tried everything from being a software engineer, of which I was absolutely terrible at, to being a Xerox sales rep. That's right. I went door to door selling copiers. <laughs> and it's for those of you who are not perfectly lined up with that profession, it is just as bad as you think. <laughs> so I learned an awful lot about that the extremes on these ends of the you know, industry didn't work for me. And I tried lots of things in between, dabbled in marketing, in um, not really much product, but some product marketing, consulting, solutions engineering, sales engineering. I literally did everything except for accounting and finance because I mm. knew I didn't belong there. But I had no clue where my skill set was going to fit and where I was going to be able to add the most value. And I was really frustrated for a good decade. And that was the, the fuel that at one point I got so fed up. I did what all people who get fed up do. They go back to school. And I went back to school and I got an MBA in management and organizational behavior. And that is where the light bulbs started to go off for me. All of a sudden, I understood that the entire profession of management and leadership existed and all the environments, mostly of them, most of them are startups that I previously worked for and the people that I worked for just had no notion that this stuff even existed. And I was fascinated by leadership, leadership development, you know, bringing teams together, bringing organizations together. It was an incredibly exciting time. And I, when I graduated from grad school, I said, made the commitment to myself. I said, I have to bring incredible management and leadership to tech companies 
that's what got me back in. And that was how ultimately I got into my first role as a customer success manager. This was 10 years ago now. So this is very, very early days, downtown San Francisco, where customer success was just barely being a thing. Salesforce had only come out with it a few years prior. SaaS had only been around for a few years prior as well. And the world was changing fast. And I got to grow up from a CSM to manager, director to VP in 30 months in one of the most intense environments with an incredible network of people who were the very earliest pioneers in customer success because we were all basically in a very small <laughs> couple mile radius in downtown yes. San Francisco. It was fascinating. So that was the, the customer success side of the journey. And when I got to VP, I had some great success. And at the end of my last stint, I you know, was very honest and I told the CEO that he didn't need me anymore, that the systems I had put in place and the foundation that I built was designed to run without me. And I was kind of expensive and wasn't really needed. Frankly, I was bored wow. too. Yeah. So I decided at that point that I would leave and he said, well, what are you going to do? And I, at the time, I hadn't honestly given it a lot of thought. I was like, <laughs> huh, it's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so I went and I thought a little bit about it and I said, well, I... I could go join another company as a CS leader. Yeah. That's totally normal. There's plenty of opportunity at that time. And I said, rather than just joining one company and being a big part of one org, I'd much rather be a small part of a lot of orgs. And so I decided that, you know, it was time for me to be share my expertise and share the things that I had learned in a meaningful way, because I just knew at the time that there were other people who weren't as far advanced as we were on the customer success side. And I knew there would be a lot of demand for this in the future, just mm-hmm. given the nature of the industry, the nature of SaaS, all that good stuff. So I decided to form my consulting firm, which is called Glide Consulting. Interesting fun fact, it was the, and is the very first customer success consulting firm that ever existed in the world. January 1st. How is that? How, you know, how did you know that? Oh, because I knew every single person who went into the customer success consulting <laughs> field and they all came after me. <laughs> So we have a good laugh about that because a few other people were close and there's only a small handful of CS consultants who have legitimately been in seat, not in a tangential role and then, you know, kind of become a consultant in the space. I mean, like been in a CS leadership role inside of a SaaS fast growing business where CS was born, right? So that was fun. And for the last seven and a half years, I've gotten a chance to partner with Everybody from early stage to growth stage to scale stage to Fortune 100 companies to help them build world-class customer success organizations. So that part was a blast. And, you know, had the pandemic not happened, you know, one, we may not be having this conversation of what I'm about to tell you in there. But two, I would have just continued on consulting as I had. And one, you know, tidbit that is that plays into this a lot is that 10 years ago, Almost at the same time that I got into my first CS role, I went through a program to become a certified leadership coach. And that was a transformational point in my life because you cannot go through the process of learning how to become a coach without really going through the process of coaching yourself. Mm. And it was game changing in everything that I was experiencing and the power that coaching had on helping me to handle my situation was absolutely unworldly and unlike Mm. anything I had ever experienced before. And I was hooked. Mm. And I said, wow, this is so powerful. I'm going to bring now coaching skills into the work I do with my teams, into Mm. the work that I do with the teams that report to me in the future. With the I'm going to I use coaching skills with my clients. This is part of what enabled me to go from CSM to VP so fast 
is that I had this incredible toolbox of tools from my MBA, mm-hmm. as well as this coaching skill set, mm-hmm. and I put them all to use to serve the needs of other people. That was huge. So over the years, I consistently would coach individuals on the side and on the weekends on at night, and then I'd do it inside of my day job too, but I did want to get paid for it. So I did it like that. When I became a consultant, coaching always became a part of my projects, but it was never the front runner. It was never the thing mm-hmm. I focused on most. And then the pandemic hit and my consulting business disappeared in 48 hours, just completely gone. I'm talking literally zero. <laughs> That's what it went to. All projects disappeared, all spending stopped, and all phone calls were not returned. <laughs> wow. It was a real gut check moment, right? To say, wow, okay, I got a family of five that I support. I have demands. I have things I got to do. <laughs> yeah. What do you do now? And my preference is to adapt to the situation as opposed to go crawl in a hole yeah. and or go back to, I could have very easily just gone and gotten a VP of CS job. Yeah. I yeah. entertained it, I'll admit, for about two weeks. And then I said, no way, that's not me. This is, I, am, I can add significantly more value going down yeah. this path. So I took a step back and I said, well, let's look at all the skill sets that I have. Let's look at the markets that are available with these skill sets applied mm-hmm. to and how I can add value. And I chose to focus on the leadership skills market on account of my leadership coaching that for mm-hmm. 10 years been doing this one-on-one, used all these tools with my teams, with my clients' teams. So I had this incredible ability to share really impactful tools with people. And now I have an opportunity to share this with the world and not just people who can pay me a lot of money to coach yeah. one-on-one. And that was why I wrote the book, 30 Day Leadership Playbook, Your Guide to Becoming the Leader You've Always Wanted to Be. It's called 30 Days just because I organized the chapters as days one through 30. Yep. So literally you could read a chapter a day and at the end of 30 days, you'll know more about leadership than the vast majority of the world, period. So, so I love the book and I love how you laid it out. I just thought the concept, I mean, the title and then sort of the concept every day, you're learning something new. It didn't take, I didn't do it over 30 days. You can actually read it in, in much more quickly oh, than yeah. that. And I Absolutely. did. And there's a lot of good tidbits that come out. And I want to talk to you about those as we're coming through. Before we get into that, like, how are you working with your clients and through Glide Consulting? Are you, is it more one-on-one? Are you doing peer-to-peer groups? Or like, what kind of styles do you kind of bring into the work that you're doing with your clients? Yes. On the consulting side, I still consult in the customer success space. That is still very high touch one-on-one where I go in and work with a customer success organization Mm -hmm. inside of a company and help them either solve challenges they're facing now or build it from scratch or scale it or whatever the challenge Mm -hmm. is. Now on the leadership side, I took a completely different approach when I built this business after writing the book, which is 100% group-based because I was not willing to go down the one-to-one path anymore. Mm -hmm. And I have successfully enabled significantly more people and been able to help a lot more people as a result of this model. So I run a program called the B2B Leaders Academy, which involves content that I take, I start with the premise of what I talk about at a high level in the book. And then we go much deeper on each of these areas. And this is a way for me to provide my expertise and access to leadership training and leadership coaching on a subscription basis that's Mm. actually affordable, Bill. Mm. Like this does not exist in the world really, except for in this program. And if you want to learn more, you can go to B, the letter B, the number two, the letter B, B B2B leadersacademy.com and check it out. Cool. We'll definitely put that in our show notes. So, all right, let's talk about the book, 30 Day Leadership Playbook. So you start off the book with the first pillar which I thought was incredibly important. It's leading yourself. And you've got sort of multiple pillars in there. I intuitively, 
you want to start, and you even mentioned that, right? Like first you got to learn how to coach yourself, but why start there? Like, why is it important to understand how to lead yourself first? And then later in that section, I thought it was really interesting. You talk about bulletproofing your leadership style. Has that changed maybe at all since you wrote the book two years ago, particularly given like the pandemic or the things pre-pandemic maybe Mm -hmm. the same as they are now because the world of work has changed so much, right? And leadership, frankly, has changed so much. Yeah. So pillar one, leading yourself, everything begins with you. It it really begins and ends with you. And that's why it had to come first. And everything that I talk about in the book, in the B2B Leaders Academy, in my B2B Leadership Podcast, everything comes down to having psychology and having tactics. If you have the right psychology, you will, and not the right tactics, you're going to be really excited and have a great mindset, but you're not going to make very far. If you have the right tactics, but not the right psychology, you're going to get really frustrated because change will not last. Mm -hmm. However, if you have the right psychology and the right tactics, that is the magic secret sauce that when we put those two things together and supply tools that enable both of those sides to be met, we get incredible change. So from a leadership perspective, if you are not able to lead yourself, it will be incredibly difficult to lead other people. Right? And I don't just mean this lead by example kind of genericness. I'm talking about, uh, when I talk about bulletproof your leadership psychology, I'm talking about being confident about who you are mm-hmm. and how you show up and what your strengths are and what are you naturally talented to do to, so that you can destroy the possibility of imposter syndrome if it exists today or if it should ever come into the picture tomorrow. Every single leader, myself included, very, very visceral experiences with this have struggled with imposter syndrome. Sure. It's hard. But the source of imposter syndrome is the comparison to someone outside of yourself. And I'm saying, don't worry at first about that, right? The comparison isn't what's important. What's important is being confident in who you are. And I have a series of tools and exercises and things that I take people through to help them claim Mm -hmm. their strengths, to help them build their confidence, to help them feel as if they can take on any challenge because they have a set of tools that are going to empower them. So, you know, that's a little bit on that and happy to go into the uh, has work changed, but I want to pause there for a second. See if yeah, g- give else. me. So look, and, uh, when I went into my new role at the company I'm at today, I had imposter syndrome. I was managing a team of leaders who had, you know, who had been in the customer employee experience space for decades, as much as I had did incredible things, work for major brands, right? Like, Yep. How give us a, an example of how you might talk to someone about rethinking them for themselves why why it's about me it's not it shouldn't be I shouldn't focus that energy on somebody else like how might I approach that Absolutely so I'm going to use the the psychology and the tactics yeah. example here okay psychology is that the focus is on you that's why the pillar is called leading yourself and yep. bulletproofing your leadership psychology nobody else's <laughs> let's talk about your Leadership psychology. So the mindset is personal focus. Mindset mm-hmm. is on me. Now that one of the tactics that I would use in this case is a wonderful assessments. My favorite one in the whole world. It's from the research company Gallup. It's called mm-hmm. the Strengths Finder Assessment. You mm-hmm. can. I have nothing to do with this assessment. I just happen to love it and use yeah. the results with uh, with my clients and the people that I work with. But anybody can take this assessment in a matter of twenty minutes, and you pay twenty bucks and get incredible insight into what you are naturally talented to do, right? Bill, have you ever taken the StrengthsFinder assessment? I have. I bought StrengthsFinders 2.0, I think it was the book, and yeah. I, took the, yeah, yeah. I took the assessment out of that. I think I, was, uh, I think it was an integrator. 
Is that something okay. right? It's been a while. It's been no, a while. It, I don't think it was that. I don't. I'm thinking of another. I'm thinking of another. Uh, I think assessment. you're thinking of a different, a different <laughs> one, right? And and that is that's the rub. So the most of the other assessments, the Myers Briggs, the yeah, whatever, all the other, I can't even think of them right now. All of them have labels, just like integrator or yeah. I'm a more sales focused or an introvert, extrovert, yeah. whatever. I'm not a huge fan of labels, right? Because there's just too much nuance to each individual person. I am an introvert. However, I am very extroverted in some things that I do. I just yeah. have different sides to me that I pull out at different times. Now, what I love about strengths, and the reason why I think it's so powerful, is that it is simply a language to describe what you're naturally talented to do. And every single person in this world has a set of strengths. There are 34 in the universe of Gallup's assessment, and they are ordered by most dominant number one to least dominant number 34. Mm -hmm. Now, the vast majority of the work that I do with clients and where I found like the definitely the 80-20 is in the top five strengths. If you know what your top five strengths are, it completely changes the game with understanding what you are naturally talented to do, where you're going to excel and where you're going to struggle. And if you know those boundaries, then you can focus on the things where you have strengths to excel and do even more of those, but acknowledge where you don't have strengths. And that's where, mm -hmm. from a leadership perspective, you bring in other people who do have strengths in those areas who are going to be able to do whatever that task is far more effectively, efficiently, have a lot more fun and be way more engaged. So confidence builds when you have clarity of what mm -hmm. it is you are naturally talented to do. And I'll share with you my number one strength in the Strengths Finder assessment is something called Maximizer. What maximizer means to me is that I see strengths in other people oftentimes before they see it in themselves. Mm -hmm. And bringing awareness of strengths to others gives me tremendous satisfaction. This is what makes me tick, literally to a T. This is what makes me a great coach. This is what made me a great leader when I was an operational seat. This is what makes me, enables me to be uh, an incredible facilitator in the B2B Leaders Academy. Because my sole job, the thing that I can do better than I don't even compare myself to anybody else, but better than anybody else is I can see strengths in people before they see it in themselves. And when I bring that awareness to them, everything changes. Cool. I actually was looking, while you were talking, I went to my Clifton Strengths Finder app and I, I have to repay to get my five strengths. So I'm gonna have to do this again. Okay, you gotta do it. Yeah, I, I don't wanna hear what your top five is. Send it to me after. I actually recently went through, uh, there's another one out there called 16 Personalities. They do a little bit of a Myers-Briggs output, but the one, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but uh, I'm a protagonist. So basically, ah. I, like, I really try and you know, look out for the best of teams and the success of people, et cetera, and try, you know, sim similar to what you had seen uh, yeah. in, uh, in, in the Gallup Strengths Finder. So let's take it back to the question, though, how maybe has that changed yeah. in the last two years, if at all? Yeah. So the interesting thing is that, principles that I teach and that I focus on from a leadership perspective, they are foundational and they are just as relevant now as they were 10 years ago. They will be just as relevant in 10 years as they are today. Like these are universally applicable principles and doesn't matter what discipline, doesn't matter level in the org, doesn't matter industry, like they are applicable because they're about people, right? And people is a constant, no matter what uh, department you're in, no matter what industry you're in, just doesn't matter what product mm -hmm. you're supporting, right? So what changed though, in the last two years with the pandemic and remote environments and just work changing largely, is the application of some of these. I've always said that you, you know, working in an office, 
and being in an environment with your entire team kind of in a lot of ways, like taking the easy way out. And what I mean by that is it's always easy to have a quick side conversation with somebody. It's always easy to catch somebody in the hall for a couple minutes, just right before lunch or waiting in the lunch line and make a quick decision. And then, you know, maybe casually mention that decision to some other people, but inevitably something gets dropped because somebody wasn't in that casual place where it worked out and somebody doesn't know something. So when I say it's easy, it's easy because you don't have to put a lot of effort. You just casually turn around to somebody, have a quick conversation, move on. Now we celebrate that as moving fast. That's one way to look at it. But the other way to look at it is that the structure of your leadership and the systemization of your org actually falls apart Mm -hmm. as soon as you go remote. And that's what we had to do. And that's what you saw in the very, very beginning of this. So you know, it actually takes much more effort to do the exact same thing in a remote environment than it does in an in-person environment. And that's the what changed. So that's the application of these principles change. Hmm. The fact of how you connect with people, the coaching work that you do, the questions you ask your team, none of that changed. All of that still remains exactly the same, but how you go about it and how you, you know, strategically insert routine into things that were really easy before is what people had to adapt to. And for the most part, did a pretty good job. I actually, now that you said that, I do wonder if like remote work increases inclusivity. I never Yo, thought absolutely. about sort of like, right? Like I never, yes. I'm, it's shame on me for actually having that realization now. But now that you said, you know, the, the having it easy, like the stuff happening in between meetings in the hallways, over the cubes, you're right. That does cut people out. But if everyone's on the Zoom, everyone's involved, which is yeah. so important. Or if everything is, every, if a decision that it needs to be communicated to the team, mm. which previously would have been just said in an open area, right, is now has to be documented in a central place and then had sign off that everybody actually yeah. saw the decision that was made in, and understood it, right, by checking a box that, yeah, I saw this. That's an infinitely more valuable system than just the ad hoc in-person situation. So, Niels, in the second pillar of the book, uh, leading others, right now, okay, leading yourself, now you're on to leading others in the book, you had a really interesting concept called the social contract, which when I read it, I was like, that makes sense. I never heard it called that, but I really like the term and and how you described it. Tell our listeners what you how you what the social contract is for you, and then you know do you think that the violation of social contracts is a big reason why mm-hmm. we're in the middle of the great resignation right now too? Yes, absolutely. All right, so the social contract is the unspoken agreement, typically between two parties. This is there are social contracts you have all over the place that exist. There is agreements between you and your boss, mm-hmm. you and your company you and another department. And when I say unspoken, what I mean is that we all have expectations of other people that we don't bring to the surface and we never voice. However, we hold them as if we did. Mm -hmm. And what happens when another party does not live up to those expectations is that we feel this violation of our social contract and this causes tension to happen. So Bill, if I was working for you and my assumption was that you would always look out for me and identify projects that would be great for my skill set and support my growth and development. And something happened where you didn't do that. And there was something that I thought clearly was a great use of my skill set and project, and you didn't even consider me. That would be a violation of my social contract. And at that point, I would probably lose some of the connection that I have to you because I'd be like, well, Bill doesn't care about me. He didn't yeah. live up to my yeah. expectation. 
And Bill's going to turn around and say, I had no idea that's what you wanted me to do. Yeah. Right. So this is an example. So this is pervasive and lives inside of every single two people at at them at a minimum coming together. (laughs) Right. And so the job as a leader is to identify this and bring it to the surface and get everybody to agree. What are the expectations that you have of me as a leader? And what are the expectations that I have of you as a team? That forms the social contract, which is actually ends up being a written formal document that mm-hmm. everybody signs and agrees to. And the reason why that's so powerful is that then everybody has the responsibility to hold each other accountable. Mm-hmm. The team holds the leader accountable. The leader holds the team accountable. And there's no more hearsay about I expected you or I assumed or you should have done X, Y, or Z. And do you think that these should be updated like annually every couple of years? Like, or because they must, right? Like teams change, they evolve, strategy changes, goals change. Like how often do you, should these be? That was the one question I had going through my head actually when I was reading this. Yeah. How often would you recommend people update the social contract? Yeah. I think annually is totally fine to revisit this. Your team is going to change as well. One of the most powerful things is that the people on the team have a hand in shaping this, right? So as that evolves, as your team grows and changes, there's going to be different voices and different things. And it's a great way to introduce people to the team and say, these are the, this is the social contract we have as part of this team. These are the expectations from the leader. These are our expectations. If there's something wildly off, you know, you can add, you can have a discussion about it. Usually it's, we cover the bases, but in the social contract, we're talking about things that are going to be applicable regardless of time. So it's not just about that this project or this initiative is is centered around that. It's Mm -hmm. around my expectation of you, Bill, as my leader is to do everything to support the growth and development of my career, right? That's something that's going to be relevant today. It's also going to be relevant next year. It's going to be relevant as long as I work for you, period, right? So that's the level that we're talking about at those. And I think it is absolutely 100% fair to revisit and adjust it on an annual basis. And most people have an annual either kickoff or an offsite or yeah. something virtual that they do today. And that's a great time to take a full step back. Hey, gang, let's review our social contract. But it is something that should be embedded within the culture. Like this isn't something that you just do once and then put in a Google Drive folder and then forget about <laughs> for a long period of time. Yeah. It is up to the leader. And to reinforce this and to build it into the team culture and to hold the team accountable. And it's up to the team to build into the culture and hold the leader accountable too. It is a really, really powerful exercise. And I've run this for, you know, I've run these sessions. You can run them yourselves, of course, but I've run these sessions for leaders upwards of, you know, having a very, very senior leadership team, you know, around the table and course of an hour and a half, like we had a very, very powerful discussion and it completely transformed the relationship between that leader and their team, just because we brought all this to the surface and got it all out. And everybody was 100% agreement on what was going to happen going forward. Very cool. I love that. Let's talk about leading with communication. And in there, you had a section that it's a philosophy that I just live and die by professionally. It's called, who knows what you do? Uh, Mm -hmm. It was just kind of one of the sections in there. In there, you talk about it and you provide a framework, which I love too. And I, I, just, I love frameworks. It just helped me think through like an approach and it's very clear for people, right? And, and talk about expectations, it kind of sets those as well. Tell our listeners a little bit about the W3M communication framework mm-hmm. and, and how they might be able to put it into practice. Yeah. So the leading with communication as a whole from a pillar perspective starts with the premise that 
doing the job as a leader is not enough. You cannot just show up and do your job and expect that other people will know what you do. It's just not going to happen. So leading with communication is all about how you communicate your value, your expertise, the progress that you and your team are making, the value that you're delivering to an audience that has no idea what you do, right? Because Bill, outside of your immediate team, is there anybody else inside your company that has any clue what you guys do? Well, we're a smaller company, but I've worked for like big banks like Chase. Yeah. There's 250, 300,000 employees. So like, and big, the bigger the company, the more important, frankly, this, this becomes, right? Yeah. And that's where I think your success, and not only that, but your team's success, more importantly, can live and die by this role. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Yep. Absolutely. 100%. And your ability to craft how you are perceived is directly related to the, your ability to effectively communicate what it is that you do mm-hmm. in a way that anybody can understand. And for that, we use the construct of building a framework. Won't get into that because there's a lot of meat behind that, but a perfect example of a framework to break down a complex topic is the four pillars of leadership, just like we're talking through today. I can summarize my entire beliefs about everything I know about leadership by telling you there's four pillars. Pillar one, leading yourself. Pillar two, leading others. Pillar three, leading with communication. Pillar four, leading with metrics. And then I could guide you on a path through any one of those, depending on your specific and unique situation. So just one example of how frameworks are so powerful. Now, the one you mentioned that I use in the book, I called out was the W3M, which is a communication one. And it stands for, the W stands for why. And this helps really to make sure that what you are communicating in the moment is the most important thing that you want to get across. And just a little bit of a gut check, because we Mm -hmm. can all send emails and send Slack messages and send things that sometimes don't get our point across in as efficient a way. So the W stands for why. Why are you sending this message? And then there are three M's. The first one is the message. What is the actual message itself? Now, the second one is the medium. And the medium comes into play is what is the most appropriate medium for this message to be received? Is it email? Is it phone? Is it Zoom? Is it in person? Hmm. Is it Uh, Slack? Is it Teams? What is the appropriate medium? And then the last M stands for motivation. Yeah, motivation. And that is all about what do you want the individual to do on the other side as a result of this message? So if you can break down something that you are going to send out by looking at it through this simple framework here, you can very clearly see if you're going to achieve your outcome. Because if it's not lined up with what you want to achieve, Mm -hmm. then this will all fall apart and your message will unfortunately fall flat on the table. So simple uh, and so easy to put into place. I've been using it actually since I read the book. So thank you for that. All right. The last part of the book, the last pillar is leading with metrics. Now, I love a good metric. More importantly, not so much the metrics sometimes, but what you do, the action that you take on those metrics more importantly. But you give a really neat example of a friend of yours who said, you need to get to yes or no. Now, you can't get any more black and white than that right at the end of the day. Why is this important? And how can our listeners put this into practice? So what does you need to get to yes or no mean? Yeah. So any, the, in the, the actual quote from my friend was, anything can get to a yes or no. And at first, I completely did not believe him. I was like, no, there's stuff <laughs> I do uh, you know, in my world, in my life and all this stuff. I was like, no way. And he's like, no, no, let's experiment with this. So I'll give you the example. You know, 
oftentimes we can, sometimes it can be a challenge to control the amount of email that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And let's say that one of the things you wanted to do was get a little bit more control over your time and the email and whatnot. So you might say, well, I'm going to be better about checking my email less times per day. Well, it's like, okay, that's very general. How are you going to know if you actually did check it less times or checked it more times? Well, you need a more definitive measurement. So what he had me do was set up a yes or no situation. And I took that vagueness and I turned it into a yes or no. And I said, well, okay, what if I only checked my email four times a day? Well, then I could say definitively at the end of the day, I either did check my email four times a day or I did not. As in I checked it five, six, seven, eight, ten times. And that was the first aha light bulb moment for me when I realized that was that this seemingly vague thing that I used to put in there as I would check, spend less time in my email, actually transitioned into something very concrete, very specific that was an action I could take. And then I could measure. And the best part was I could hold myself accountable to it because if I looked on a little, you know, even wrote it down at the end of the day, yes, I did check it only four times a day or no, I didn't. Like it was a gut check when I had, when I said no. And so that's the power of getting to know is any activity, any activity can be broken down into a yes or no and is incredibly powerful for driving the right activity, measuring whether or not it happened, and then making improvements so that you get more and more yeses. Very cool. Very cool. I love the simplicity of that. You can't argue with yes or no, actually, right? Right. And well, that's the best part, because what do we do? What do all humans do? We give ourselves space. We are vague. We introduce gray area, right? We We just want to have an out. Well, this completely eliminates that. And it's like, and I tell my clients all the time, it's either yes, you did it or no, you didn't. That's it. I don't, I don't really care about the rest of the story. It's just yes <laughs> or no. And then they start to hold themselves accountable to that. And it completely changes the, the way they look at all the activities that they do. So cool. Hey, I've got two more questions for you. I know we're late, getting later on a Friday. Where, or do you have any specific leaders, Nils, that you look up to from a business perspective, whether that's in coaching, customer success, or, or just business broadly? Absolutely. So I spend a lot of time outside of my immediate areas, trying to learn from the best of the best. And Mm -hmm. the wonderful part about the world that we live in today is that there is access to world-class experts in virtually any discipline anywhere in the world at the swipe of a credit card. And I have swiped my credit card many, (laughs) many, many times. So my current coach is a guy named James Shramko. He's based out of Australia. He's been in the online business and marketing space since like 2000, since 2000 or six or something crazy, long, long time. Uh, One of the most well-known names in that space. And he has developed um, this uh, membership model and has taught numerous entrepreneurs how to build a membership model uh, for their business. And the B2B Leaders Academy, surprise, is a membership model that has modeled a lot after the experience I've had in his coaching program. So I, I look for inspiration on how to deliver exceptional value to my clients by finding the experiences where I received exponential value in a group-based environment. And that gives me insights and glimpses. And then I take the pieces that work for me and I massage it and I turn it into something of my own. So that is, it's been a long time to get to this point. And I've had many coaches prior to this where Mm -hmm. I spent significant amounts of money over the last three, four years, trying to figure out how to evolve my business. And then once I wrote the book and then started building the B2B Leaders Academy, I knew I needed a different approach and that's where James came in 
And it's just been a wonderful relationship because he has such great insight and advice to give me and I get access to his expertise and I get to take the fast track. So he's one of the people I look up to most and others outside of my immediate, you know, I spend a lot of time in customer success. I spend a lot of time in leadership, but I actually love on the marketing side. I find it fascinating because really, really great marketers are incredible at psychology and tactics and driving behavior and change. And so there's been a number of books that I've read in the last six months that have been just focused on marketing and just great minds and things that have, I just find so interesting. And then again, I take a little piece out of each one of these and I integrate it into a weekly email that I send or into cool. the next conversation that I have on the podcast or something like that. So that's really my main sources is I usually go, I try to go outside of my immediate stuff that I spend the most amount of time in on a daily basis. Very cool. Very cool. All right, I've got one last question. Where do you go for inspiration? I'm sure there's places you go to fill your tires. <laughs> yes. So this, I do meditate. I use transcendental meditation. And as I mentioned before, I am an introvert. So I derive energy from being with myself. Mm-hmm. And then when I spend energy with, or when I'm with other people, it is more a depletion of energy. I enjoy it very much, just like this conversation. Yeah. But when I need to recharge, it's a personal thing. And I love being uh, on my own for a period of time. I love to meditate, right? Which I do every single day. I also love to be with my family. I've got three young kids. My wife, we're going to Vegas this weekend. Going to nice. be a little respite, a little time cool. away. And then I also love riding my motorcycle in the desert. I got a 2017 Victory Octane. And I, you know, hit the road on that thing in the Phoenix desert. And there's nothing but mountains and open cactus around like it's a blast um that is kind of how i how i recharge myself when i am in coaching conversations with clients even though that is with another piece that gives me tremendous energy like that's where i could have a day full of coaching meetings and i would be and just as energized at the end of the day as the beginning of the day versus the consulting side i'm probably going to be a little more exhausted at the end of the day but if i am coaching and helping people discover you know, answers their problems, helping them work through situations. That is, you know, music to my ears. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, Nils, this has been a great conversation. I'm so happy that we've had an opportunity to meet and get to know each other a little bit better. And, you know, I hope, uh, I hope the conversation doesn't stop here and, you know, looking forward to, uh, hope, look, look for listeners down, you know, certainly after this download the book, you know, I think the context Nils that you've provided on this show is going to really help the book come alive. And, uh, like I said, a lot of great just kind of tidbits coming out of there that I'm already putting into practice. So thanks for writing the book. And yeah. and for those folks who want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to, uh, to, get, to, yeah, to get access? Yeah, you can to find out everything at 3030dayleadership.com or simply send me an email, nils, N-I-L-S, at 30dayleadership.com. Tell me about your situation. I love to connect with people who are also passionate about leadership, who also recognize that they don't know everything. I recognize that I don't know everything, even though I run a program called the B2B Leaders Academy. That's okay, right? It's all about learning and continuous improvement. If that's you, drop me a line. Tell me about your situation. I would love to connect. Cool. All right, everybody. Another great show. Focus on leadership. All need more focus on that, no matter what your role you're in. So uh, we'll talk to you next week, everybody. We're out. 
Talk to you soon, Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to Be Customer-Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at BeCustomerLed.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're out. We'll be right back.